welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. Yes, we still exist. And yes, I am still Mike. And yes, I'm still your host. Um, Yeah, let me say sorry for the un- quite unintentional pod fade that has occurred with this show. Um, if you look, if you look at the date of release of this episode and compare it to the date of release of the previous episode, you'll see exactly one year has passed. So, uh, again, I apologize. I never intended to let this go <laughs> 12 months. I uh, was hoping to let it, you know, go maybe a month or so. Some things had come up and then next thing you know, I'm checking in this, in this stuff and I've got three episodes kind of lined up or three interviews have, have occurred. Um, yeah, so we have three more episodes with the last guest we've had, Josh, if you'll remember, um, he has, we have two parts of his pipeline discussion has, has were the previous two episodes. This episode, we kind of pick up kind of in the middle of where he had selected what aircraft he had selected in, in the follow on training to that. Um, so you'll hear us mention, uh, November 2nd was the last time we had talked. Uh, and that was November 2nd of 2008, <laughs> Uh, the conversation that you're about to hear took place in February of 2009, just before the last episode had been released. <laughs> um, and then we have one from, I want to say, June of 2009, and then again, November of 2009, where he is about ready to uh, ship out to his fleet squadron. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to, we'll pick up the conversation with Josh and we'll do a little close at the other end. Last time we talked was November 2nd. <laughs> yes. Um, and you said that it, it, uh, you still didn't even solo it at that point. No, I was still in contact flights. Okay, now why do they call it contact flights? Is it your first contact with the airplane? I mean, <clears throat> Contact flights are, are basically, uh, I guess the civilian equivalent would be like VFR flights, just visual flights, just learning stick and rudder skills, how to fly the helicopter. Okay, but do, you, do you know where the term contact comes from? Not really. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, just. I, it, it, that's a good point. I mean, maybe it is like, you know, I don't know, first contact with the helicopter. I think they don't call it VFR just because um, too in, in the civilian world, VFR is sort of melded together with like VFR flight planning, but there, we don't really do any sort of navigation during the contact block. It's just strictly just getting the helicopter flying and learning how to fly it without learning how to navigate anywhere or whatever. So. Learning not to crash. Yeah. Okay. Basically. All right, so um, how long after that did you solo then? Well, let's see here. I'm, I'm checking this out. So that was on the 2nd of November. Daylight savings time went away. And then my check ride was actually on the 5th of November. Okay. A Wednesday. And you passed, I take it, the first time around? I sure did, and then I soloed that same day. Okay. And then after that, like I said, we had a couple more contact flights where you learn some new stuff, like uh, steep approaches or whatever. But it's mostly the same stuff that we uh, we did before. And it actually used to lead up to another solo, but they took that solo out, so it's just kind of three more flights that still remain there for no real reason, <laughs> except to just give us more training. Interesting. Okay. And then, uh, like I said, uh, move on into tactics flights, three flights. 
the last two, which are with the air crewman in the back, where we get to do uh, calzone landings and uh, external loads, pinnacle landings, that sort of thing. Okay. Now, I, I take it these these guys they were professional, right? Oh yeah, these are these are petty officers. Actually, they all happen to be from uh, the HM community, 53s, and uh, they're all you know fleet petty officers. <laughs> they go from the biggest helicopter to the smallest. <laughs> the smallest, yeah. So okay, so they they don't uh, no good natured hazing or messing with the new the newbie pilots then. Uh, no, I mean I'm, I mean they were kind of like getting on my ass in, in terms of like the the external loads, like hey you know. You know, drifting left or you know come down blah blah and they really got on me because obviously like we suck at flying at that oh, point uh-huh. <laughs> and they're they're used to fleet pilots but uh there was no like hazing or ribbing or anything because you know there's it's always fun to catch someone off guard and i guess yeah <laughs> I, 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 but you know but I, you know again my experience is you know with you know they're in the rag or you know they're already at the you know, they're farther along than you are, okay, and, and there's a little bit more familiarity because you've seen sure. you've seen these guys. So I, I you know, things, I don't know, just little things you'll say to make them say, do say what or double take. Right. But I guess at that part, it's, they got to teach you that we're not always joking around back there. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Um, so steep approaches. Uh, no, um, you said confined approaches too, right? Landing amongst the trees. Yes, there's uh, there's actually a couple confined areas that uh, we have at some of our OLFs that we use for that. You know, is it just trees or is it rocky areas too, or? Uh, it's mostly just like forest areas that uh, just have a, a clearing that uh, they they mark them with numbers too. They like lay out you know like a big two or a big one and you know chalk or whatever just to label them. And how how tight are are we talking? Uh, I would say maybe a hundred feet or so across so i mean it's 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 tight but it's definitely not like varsity it's it's good enough to teach a student on okay and what's the rotor arc of a of a, of a 57? It's, it's about 30 33 feet okay so you got you got plenty of wiggle room right now are they circular are they rectangular uh they're they're forward or yeah they're, they're different they're rectangular for the most part i mean we'll basically come in on an approach and land on the you know the upwind third of it and then we'll kind of back taxi to the other side and then do our takeoff like that okay yeah um one of the as a reservist army reservist one of the things we had to do is go out to some of our areas uh, and uh clear them the um the unit would take the month of august off right that was their summer off because we did extra drill periods or whatever to earn not having to go in August. So usually right. the first the first drill weekend of September was to fly out to some of our confined areas that were farther out and hack away <laughs> hack away the, the some of the underbrush that had grown up since, <laughs> you know, June and July. And uh so I was just wondering if it's all trees or you know what kind of size you had. One I remember clearly was like on a creek so we would transition across a creek bed and land like on like the edge of the creek, and it was like five guys with hacksaws and or not hacksaws, but saws and axes, and we're there to clear <laughs> out stumps and bushes and whatever. And and, and they're always telling you, okay, don't don't you know don't do a half-ass job because we do a half-ass job and we you know screw up the airplane. It's a long walk back to wherever we're going, you know. 
Oh yeah. Because we're out in the. I mean, we're out in the. The Adirondack areas, you know, Adirondack, you know, mountains of New York, but. Right. You were saying your you were saying your outlying fields were, five ten minutes, and these places we're practicing were a good twenty five minutes of flying. So. <laughs> None of that. All right. So. And then you said, uh, uh, all right. So external loads, rocks and blocks, right? They still call it that. They sure do. <laughs> all right. Um, and you get to. Uh, so you get to practice following LSE signals and all that. Do they do the do? Um, I mean, they try to because I, you know, I remember they would always try to trip us up on the LSE stuff. Because okay, now on a on a on a fifty-seven, you know, there's no gear to put down, but they would put they would raise their gear and you know the airplane would be coming in for their hover and the gear would be up or down when right. it was supposed to be up and and. Um, you know, you got to remember what's the, what's the LSE signal for cycling the gear, or they would do something crazy and you would just kind of forget that they're not flying straight or sliding left and right. I don't you know. <laughs> I mean, so they do they pull any of that on you to try to get you to... I mean, um, get, not not really on that hop. I know that they do LSC signals and stuff when we do the ship qual, because you, you, you basically, that's one of the briefing items you have to know is LSC signals Sure. for, okay. for the ship hop. Yeah, they're usually not that complicated. It's up. No. Turn your nose this way or that way. Slide yeah. this way or that way. Goodbye. Yeah. All right. So now, um, and you said these these flights are about two hours duration max, one and a half to two? Yeah. I mean, it, each block, it varies, but it's somewhere usually between an hour and a half and two hours. Okay. And so, all right. So you've soloed in helicopters, right? Mm-hmm. And how many hours? Correct. How many hours do you have under your belt? And as a rotary wing student at this point? <sighs> uh, at, at the point of the solo? Sure. Uh, probably somewhere between like 15 and 20 hours, I would estimate. It's not too at bad. At that time. That's not too bad. No. Okay. Um, well, where was I going to go next? Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. I forget. All right. So what's next then? So uh, after the tactics, we uh, transitioned the Charlie model. So we have uh, two or three uh, transfams. Okay. So we just go back and learn how to fly the Charlie model with the, the stab system. And it's a heavier aircraft, so you got to be more aware of pulling torque because we're uh, torque limited for the transmission. And uh, it's just getting used to that model because that's, that's the model aircraft that we use for the remainder of the syllabus, all the way through instruments and all the other blocks. Okay. I, I would assume that um, that it's good that that the airplane has some sort of limitation like that because everything else you're going to fly is probably similarly hobbed, hobbled, hobbed, hobbled, where you know max gross weight and torque limits are going to be part of your flight planning. You know what I'm saying? Right. Actually, as far as I know, the uh, the 60 is actually uh, power limited. It's not torque limited. So oh, basically, so don't let you, you can, you, yeah. I mean, you can you can pull torque in a sixty until your rotor starts drooping, like your rotor will start slowing down because oh, yeah, you pull too much power. Um, but yeah, the the TH fifty seven is transmission torque limited, and I know like the the Coast Guard sixty five is as well. But uh, but all the sixties, I'm pretty sure, are power limited. Okay, that's because they have low inertia heads, I'm sure too. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, no, I you know. 
just one of those geek geek geeked out things that you kind of pick up along the way. All right, so uh, a st- uh, you want to talk about the stab system a bit? What uh, you know, what its job is for you? you said to make the sure. airplane um, easier, right? But um, yeah, what, what does that mean exactly? Basically, the stab system consists of uh, three uh, flight computers and accelerometers that uh, will measure the the helicopter's motion in all three axes. And it'll basically uh, damp out that motion by applying a control input to the cyclic. Uh, so basically, in the Bravo, you're constantly on the controls, you know, shifting the cyclic around, adjusting collective, hitting the pedals uh, to maintain a relatively stable attitude. Uh, but the stab system in the Charlie damps a lot of those things out. So it'll counteract all these little tiny motions uh, and it'll take out that feedback from the helicopter back to your control. So it'll feel a lot more stable. And it'll seem like it flies itself a lot more. Okay. Um, now you said and actually, real computers. Yeah, like black you have boxes? these. Right, you have like these little flight computers that determine some error signal, and they'll they'll in turn produce uh, a little tiny signal input to the actuators to apply a correction input to your controls, essentially. Wow. So. That's kind of. It's nuts. all that black magic stuff. Yeah, no kidding. As if a helicopter wasn't black magic enough by itself. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that—that's something that you you were required to have uh, for IMC flight for flight through the clouds. You need uh, at least pitch and roll. You need a stab system for pitch and roll. So as to not induce vertigo or what? Yeah, I mean it's it's you know without those it would be extremely difficult to fly IFR in a helicopter without those stabilization you know at least in those two axes. Okay. All right. So Transfam they teach you that and they go through. Yep, it's just like the the contact flights, just like before, except now we have a stab system. We got a whole much bigger instrument panel in front of you, so you just got to get a new sight picture for all the maneuvers. And uh, and and these are the flights that are basically your last couple of flights before you take your big check ride. Uh, right before your instrument check ride, you have actually have two check rides. You have one that's a, a just a contact check ride, fly out to an OLF, do patterns, autos, that kind of stuff. And the next day you'll do an instrument check ride. So these flights are basically preparing you for a month down the road when you got to do that contact check ride. Okay. All right. So, so, all right. So you do that. Then, then what's the next block of instruction? After the transfams, you'll, uh, you, you, I think you hit a night flight or two, and then you go into BIs. And the night, the night flights are are basically just same as the day flights. It's just obviously you got to get a sight picture for how stuff works at night. Um, and they can throw those at you either before or after BIs. I, I can't really recall, but I think I did one uh, before BIs, and then I did one like before the the flights after the sims. I never liked flying at night that much, really. I don't know. I kind of like it because it's real stable, so it's easier on the grades. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, they tend to get dull. Oh, there's nothing to see. You know, all you get to see is the the dully lit cabin. Now, I take when 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 I got in the Army Reserve, we started flying with MVG. That was interesting because right in my days on active duty in the Navy, there was no night vision device. There was no um, night vision training or anything like that. We you know it was you flew in the dark and hoped and hoped there was a moon. <laughs> Or if there was moon and stars, that the that the water wasn't too glassy. 
you know, I remember clearly, you know, one night where it was pretty glassy and the night sky reflected really well off the water, and it's that's disorienting. That, yeah, yeah, it, you know, you just gotta tell yourself, okay, I'm I'm straight, I'm straight, you know, or sneak a peek, sneak a peek at the RAI and the cockpit, make sure they're they're doing their job. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, essentially on on dark nights like that, when you're going out to the boat, you're you're essentially flying IFR because you can't you can't see the horizon, and according to uh, you know OpNav, that's the definition of IFR, yeah. you know, no visible horizon. And and then and then um, you know when you get to the boat, the boat looks like you know flight deck is lit, and that's the only thing you see. It's a little postage stamp size of something floating there and that out there in the dark. Yep. <laughs> also, <sighs> so thank God. And I've, I've heard the swos like to uh, to put out like one light too, which is also disorienting. You need at least two lights to sort of figure out where you're at. Yeah, yeah. You so you, you need to you need to yell at them to get out. You know, two lights out there so you can see what the hell you're doing. Some relative motion or. Yeah. I, I mean, our landings the whole the whole flight deck was lit. You know, we there's no you know runway light look and stuff even though they had it they had on lineup lines but they never i don't remember them turning them on <laughs> you know ah, yep. that's all right okay so instruments um all right so what's what's the uh i mean what's the rundown for that what you'll do uh you'll do five uh, basic instrument sims and then you'll go into the aircraft for six flights and a check ride now all the flights are basically conducted the same you're, you're going to do basic profiles, just, just flight profiles of uh, patterns, and they're basically useless patterns. The only thing that you do them for is really to get your, your, your visual scan in the cockpit up to par for when you actually go into IFR flights later on the Solus and RIs. Okay. So what you'll do is you'll, you'll fly a standard instrument departure um, like you would, you know, departing from any airport or whatever IFR. And then uh, your instructor will basically give you, you know, headings to fly out to some area. And you're, you're flying with uh, this little cardboard thing they stick in your helmets you can't see outside. Little peak, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it doesn't really help you either. You really need to stay inside. So even if you flew without it, I mean, you'd be looking inside the whole time anyway. Um, but you'll fly out to an area, and then uh, you'll just go through the whole card of, you know, maneuvers. So you'll do a level speed change. Uh, where you just you, you drop the collective a little bit and you slow down from you know whatever I guess you start at 80 knots you go down to 70 you come up to 100 come back to 80 and all that is is just an exercise in being able to change the configuration of the aircraft while maintaining altitude and heading so that's what that's practicing and then you'll do like a turn pattern where you just turn you know uh, 90 degrees 180 and 360 while doing 10 10 degree angle of eight turns 20 and then 30. And again, that's just make sure, making sure that you can, you know, execute turns while maintaining altitude, uh, flying to specific headings. Um, then you'll do an Oscar pattern, which is just, you know, climbing uh, at a standard rate, climb 500 feet per minute while doing a standard rate turn, left or right. And Wait, you'll do that for two minutes. A standard rate turn is uh, a certain amount of time that you change your... Right. What is it again? It's, uh, it's three degrees per second, and that's just given to you by the turn needle. And uh, you'll fly a standard rate turn, standard rate climb for two minutes, and that should give you a 360-degree turn and 1,000 feet of climb. And you'll roll out on heading on altitude and wait a minute, stabilize, and come back down the other direction. And all these different things, they're basically just getting you um, able to scan the different instruments and fly these profiles with confidence that you can control the aircraft in you know, IMC conditions. Because that's you need to be able to do all this stuff without thinking about it when you get to our eyes because later on you're gonna be talking to atc you're gonna be flying approaches 
and you know, you're going to be doing all this other stuff. So this stuff has to be second nature, and that's why they do BIs. Okay. Now, and you said five sims. So the sims are doing the same thing? Right. You know, you're your standard turns and your standard rates of climb and descent. That's all done in sim and aircraft. Yep. Okay. And, and you told me the sims are full, fully motion? Uh, yes. All the sims are full motion. Some of them are visual. Okay. And how many, how many simulator... How, much, how many simulators do they have? Uh, I believe they have uh, five at the moment. And do they belong to the squadron? Or do they belong to the training wing? I mean, the, I mean, uh, I'm, it's kind I, of no, I believe they, I believe they belong to the wing. Okay. I'm not positive exactly who owns them, but if I had to guess, it would probably be the wing because obviously all the squadrons go to the same sims. All right. So now, um, the speed at which you complete these. These hops is it's all based on sim availability and aircraft availability. I take it, or uh, yes, I mean our squadron's pretty new, so you know there was a time where they were just getting used to stuff and they they were pretty slow. But now we're we got a pretty good op tempo, and I mean I was scheduled every day for an event, and uh, and actually lately in our eyes I've been scheduled on Saturdays as well. So that's good. Get you yeah do that much faster. Well, you know because it's a ripple effect, right? The the sooner right, I mean, the less the less time someone spends stashed somewhere else waiting for some other class to come along and sure it just it it, it gets a little uh, tiring after a while I mean this is the second week in a row I've done six days a week so but uh, I got no complaints I mean it's nothing else to do it's my job so exactly. I fly when they tell me to fly sure um all right so any uh all right so you have you completed the RI then. Uh, I'm actually complete up through RI Sims, so um, I'm going to have another Transfam, which is just another flight, just to prepare me for the upcoming check ride, and then I'll go into RI flights. So they check you along the way to make sure. So what, what's going to be different in the flights than in the Sims, as far as what they're going to make you do? Anything? Um, the flights are basically going to be conducted very similar to the Sims. I mean, obviously in the Sims they. They can do some stuff with you that they can't do in the airplane. I mean, obviously in the Sims, there are times where, you know, they could just kind of jump you forward instead of having to sit there and fly five minutes to the airport. They could just kind of, you know, pop you forward and then shoot the approach. So it saves time. Uh, but in the aircraft, obviously, we have to do all the checklists and stuff that we don't have to do in the Sim. Um, so we have we have to do all this startup and, you know, taxiing out to the runway, getting our clearance, taking off. And then we'll basically just go and shoot a couple approaches, do some holding and then uh, come back and land. So the, the flights are very similar, but it, there's just more involved in the flights. Okay. You don't have to do any of the admin stuff in, in the Sims. They just pop you up at altitude and you're already flying. <laughs> okay. The admin stuff. What, like start start the aircraft, that kind of admin stuff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, don't make you, they don't make you go through checklists just for getting the checklist down? Well, I guess it doesn't matter because it's not your... It's not your fault. Right. I mean, the, the focus of the sim is basically to get us shooting approaches, doing holding, that kind of stuff. They don't they don't care about checklists because we're going to do that anyway. Okay. Now, how long are sim flights? Uh, that's a good question. I, again, they're, they're somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours. That's Most of the flights are between an hour and a half and two hours. Although, actually, the sims are probably shorter. The sims are probably uh, 1.2, I think. Okay. And... and are you buddied up with another classmate for some of this stuff like you were before or is it all just 
Yes, for for the RI flights, you actually are classed up. Oh, well, not classed up, but you're you're paired up with uh, another person who's you know basically starting sims at the same time, and then you're paired with that person for all the sims, and they'll alternate every day who goes first. But you'll be uh, flying with that person whether you're flying the event and they're your co-pilot, or they'll fly the event and you're their co-pilot, and you'll alternate. So basically, you have two hops a day, alternating who goes first and who's co-pilot first. Okay, and is it? Is it the same person you've already been paired up with for other stuff, or? Uh, in in my case, it happened to be a, a girl that I'd flown uh, BI flights with. Like in, in the flights, you actually there's like an observer who sits in back, and then the other person flies up front. So I had been you know on BI hops with her before, so we just happened to finish towards the same time they paired us together. Okay. And uh, all right, so. And you're through BI. Uh. Okay, so next, yeah. next after. Okay, so you do BI flights. You say wait. Uh, Sims a check ride, BI flights. I'm assuming another check ride. No, you you do five BI Sims, yes. then you do uh, six BI flights, and then, then you have a BI check ride. Then the at BI the end. check ride. Okay, so that's what's next for you is your six BI flights, right? Right. Okay. Then after your check ride, you go into. You said the RI section then? Yeah, after the check ride, I went into uh, RI Sims, and that's where I got paired up with that that partner. Okay, and wait a second. Didn't you say you were... I must have missed, I must have wrote this down. You finished all BI then? I, fin- I completed BI, and I've completed all the RI the Sims. Oh, see? This is my poor handwriting. Here. Here's a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I, for some reason, I thought you were still at BI Sims and waiting for BI Flights to finish. Okay. So you're done with BI altogether. And yes. And your RI sim. Now, what does RI stand for? Advanced radio instruments. instruments. Radio instruments. Yeah, that's basically where you're flying real IFR flying. You're talking to ATC. You're shooting approaches. You're holding all the good stuff. And they call it radio instruments because because you're, you're using you're talking on the ATC. You're, you're actually you're actually using your nav aids and your your VORs you're and stuff like that. Right. Okay, it's like a hands, right? VOR is a civilian term. Right. Well, we, we have VOR as well. We have VOR, we have TACAN, we have ADF, we have GPS. Oh, GPS. See, GPS non-existent yeah. back in my dinosaur days. GPS is a beautiful thing. <laughs> ADF was, wasn't used much for you, uh, in the age. As far as I understand, ADF uh, in the fleet is mostly used just to listen to radio, radio while you're yeah. flying. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the H2 didn't... Uh, if they had ADF, didn't pipe in the back. I know the H3 Bubba's, they had... Uh, they had ADF that they could pipe throughout the, the aircraft, and they would always talk about listening to Mighty Listen to Radio Disney or something. Uh, Mighty 690. There's a San Diego radio station that their towers in Tijuana, right? Right. So so they could, you know, there's no there's no wattage limits down there. So, but their studios were in San Diego. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So you're RI sim. Okay. Radio instruments. So, Wow. So after RI flights, then what's next? Sorry. Uh, yeah, so like I said, I, I finished the Sims. I've got a test tomorrow just on flight planning. After that, like I said, I've got another Transfam, the last Transfam we have before that big check ride, before the instrument check ride. That's later. Um, so I got one contact flight, and then after that, I got RI flights. And uh, I believe that's eight RI flights, and you got your big, big instrument check ride. It's the apex of flight school right there. Okay. And that's where you actually earn your Navy instrument rating. 
Okay. And then eight RI flights, a check ride, then what? Uh, and then after RIs, you've got a, a number of different blocks uh, with, I, I don't believe they have to be done in any, any particular order. However, most people will do uh, low level flights after that, which is just, uh, like, I think it's like five flights um, where it's just you, you, you spend hours preparing these charts and you gotta you know, chum these charts and all this other garbage. And then you go out and you fly and your instructor flies and you have the chart and you're basically just calling out checkpoints. You got the timing, you're doing all this and uh, it's just getting you used to low level navigation. So chart in hand, you're, you're picking out checkpoints and telling them where to turn and starting the clock and all that stuff. Okay. So I'll hunt for October, uh, right? Give me, yeah. give me, give me a blindfold and a stopwatch. I can fly the, or give me a stopwatch and a map. I can fly the Alps blindfolded. Right? Exactly. That, yeah. <laughs> Providing the map's accurate enough, right? Yeah. Hopefully, I, even though the map was pretty old. <laughs> that's why we have to what, what they call chum the charts. You have to add in all the stuff on the charts that's newer uh, than when the chart was made. Because these charts that we have are like made in '96 or something. You can't. The Navy provides you these charts. You just can't buy your own sectionals if you wanted. Uh, it's they aren't sectionals. They're they're actually a different uh, you know ratio or whatever. Uh, so they're not like the normal sectional, which is whatever you know fifty thousand to 50, one. They're, yeah. they're something crazy. Interesting. Yeah, because you're flying low level, so you need a different you know ratio to give you more something detail. that's more realistic more to what you're going to see. All right. Yeah. Interesting. All right, what else you got coming up? So after low levels, you'll probably go into formation flights, which again is uh, just five flights. Those are fun. And, uh, it's, fun. Yeah, it's. It, I've heard those are a lot of fun, the, although the briefs are extremely long and painful because you have to memorize a lot of stuff. Well, because uh, it, it would it would gen- truly suck if you you know crash into one another while you're flying. You know, it's actually <laughs> funny though because in primary we did most of our stuff was in the parade position, which is real close together, you know. And uh, in, in Gila land here in advance, we actually don't fly parade. Parade is actually a demo item. The only times we're flying in forms is uh, in cruise. So it's, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun from what I've heard from other students. Um, and then uh, we have uh, NVGs as well. It's an, the newest addition to the syllabus. And that's usually the last couple flights you'll have is uh, NVGs. Uh, and you, you also got a ship call in there somewhere. It's just like a sim and then uh, a flight practicing uh, FDLPs at the field. And then you go out to the ship in uh, Pensacola Bay. Is it that little tugboat looking thing with just a... Uh... It's the little tiny army boat with a, basically like a plank sat on the back of it with an FDLP spot painted on. Uh-huh. So <laughs> it's a fun day, though, from, from everybody I've talked to. Well, come on, that's... That's naval aviation, right? Landing on a yeah. Boat. I mean, it's 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 fun because it's basically in Pensacola Bay, so it's not exactly a pitching deck on a small boy out in the middle of the ocean. It's uh, it's pretty stable. Uh, all right, so uh, you're. It sounds like to me you're maybe a third of the way through. Actually, uh, honestly, I'm I'm a bit more than halfway through. Really. Yeah, because all, all these blocks after instruments are very short. They're all about, you know, five oh, flights or the ship okay. calls only two flights. Um, and I'm already like, you know, all the way through sim. So I've only got eight flights and a check ride to go left in instruments. So I'm, I'm roughly about halfway through a little bit more. Boy, that time's flying. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very slow in the beginning. Like in terms of events, I'm a little bit more than halfway through. But in terms of time, 
I'm probably a lot more than halfway through because all the contacts and BIs, it's generally a lot of time to get through those because they require, you know, a certain kind of weather uh, instruments because there's a lot of sims and the flights in general, you don't need any specific weather or you, you do with the weather mins are a lot lower. Uh, you, you usually get out a lot more and you don't get canceled nearly as much as you would in the first half. Okay. So the, the time is going to be a lot shorter for the second half of flight school, I guess. And um, when, all right, so when you're done, that's that's when you get winged, yeah? Yes. Do you know before winging what community you're going to end up in? I mean, right uh, you're 50-50, you, right? <laughs> you, you, you do. You find out before you actually wing, although it's going to be like the week of... All right. You're basically going to complete the syllabus. You're going to start filling out all the paperwork. Uh, you got to finish at least like 10 days before you wing. And you get all that paperwork solved. You, got, you put in your uh, request, you know, your dream sheet, whatever, for your selection. Uh, and then a couple days before, I'm pretty sure, it's uh, they, they come back and they tell you what everybody got. Okay. But it didn't used to be that way. I, th- I believe they used to tell you like at the winging where you're going to go or, or at the soft patch ceremony. So that was kind of interesting. The what ceremony? The soft patch ceremony is the night before your official winging. Uh, you get together, it's like a little dinner type thing, and, and you stand up, and one of your instructors will basically tell a funny story about how you were all assholes and elbows in the helicopter or something stupid that you did. Uh-huh. Uh, and, then they, and then they put the, the soft patch on your flight suit with your, your wings on them. Okay, all right. So. so so have you done anything nickname-worthy yet? Uh, not not yet. Okay. <laughs> Although... I've heard some, I've heard, I've heard some good stories from other people though, about uh, funny stuff. Uh, I don't think I've done anything close that's possible call sign worthy yet, but uh, keep my fingers crossed. Any, any wax on the back of the helmet? Uh, no, <laughs> not in advance actually. I'll, I'll, in primary, I think I probably was deserving of a lot more wax than I got, but so far in advance, it's been pretty good. Okay. <laughs> you got no material, huh? You can't tell me anything. Uh, I, I got. I, I, I can tell you a funny story from primary, and uh, you know, my buddy gave me a funny story from uh, advanced. All right. Uh, I, and I actually got another funny story from advanced from somebody else, but the, um, let's Fire see. I'm trying so, the primary. Story uh, in, in, in primary, it, it, it was good. It was on an instrument flight in primary, and in the T thirty four, we have uh, this bag that we basically like pull over our heads. And it covers the entire canopy, and it, and it basically velcros onto the dash in front of us. And we're sitting in the back seat. Okay. So we are completely secluded from everything, from the outside world, from the instructor up front. We can't see anything. And uh, part of the NATOPS brief from primary for instrument flights is, hey, you know, if uh, if we need, if we have an emergency or something, and we lose ICS, the key for you uh, to bail out is going to be me opening the canopy. So, because I mean, if you're back there under the bag and he can't talk you through ICS, if you lose ICS or something, how else are you going to know to bail out? So that the, the the sign for that is to open the canopy, and you'll be like, oh, holy crap! And you'll pull the bag back, and he's gone, and right. and you bail out. Um, so we were on a, an instrument hop one day, and uh, I'm under the bag, and I'm flying the approach, or whatever, and uh, and I get down there, and I haven't heard him say anything to me for a while, and I'm kind of wondering what's going on because we're we're like at the MDA of the approach, we're we're at the minimum altitude. And I'm waiting for him just just to say go missed approach or whatever, uh, and I haven't heard from him for a while. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, I hear a canopy like open, and I feel the rush of the wind, and I'm going, "What's what's going on?" Like, so I'm thinking to myself, I haven't heard from him in a while. I hear the canopy open. I'm like, that that to me sounds like bail out. Uh, at least <laughs> then, lost uh, comms, right? Okay. 
Right. So lost comms and the canopy opens. I'm thinking, well, I, he couldn't have bailed out. There's nothing wrong with the, the aircraft. So, you know, a couple seconds later, the, the wind blast basically like sucks the, the bag out, out the side of the canopy. And of course, I see him up there. And and sure enough, it was my canopy that it actually inadvertently opened. So I kind of drag the, the, the canopy back or the, the, the bag back inside the canopy and I shut it. And I'm like, what what the hell happened? So I guess my uh, my uh, canopy had sort of become loose or something back there and the bag probably like knocked it loose and it just came open. But for a second there, I thought he had bailed out and I was sitting there in the back with the bag over my head. <laughs> oh. can't, can't get that bag off fast enough to find out what's going there on. You, there you go. Uh, and then in advance, there are some funny stories. I, I remember uh, a friend of mine, she was on her first BI flight and uh, at one point, you know, the instructor noticed some smoke or something in the in the cockpit, and uh, so they, they just, you know, they were, they went on the safe side. They were conservative and just decided to land it. So he took controls and he landed it in uh, in somebody's, you know, backyard or whatever, out in the middle of Alabama, wherever the hell they were. And uh, they they shut down the helicopter and they call base, whatever, and they and they go up to the nearest house and they 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 knock on the front door and it ends up being like these super super Christian people and they basically spent three hours trying to convert them while they were waiting for the truck to come out and get nice. them. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, let's see, the other story was a uh, was a buddy of mine. Uh, he was on an instrument hop and uh, he was just shooting approaches at one of our uh, one of the fields close by. It's not one of the OLS, but just another civilian airport close by. And uh, they had already done a couple approaches and a couple passes. And uh, on one of them, he was on final approach, just coming in to his, uh, his minimum altitude. And all of a sudden, his door opens up. <laughs> and, you know, it's not really a big deal. I mean, we're all strapped in, whatever. But the only problem was that his nav bag was, you know, parked against his leg up against the door. So okay. he looks down and he looks down just in time to see his nav bag falling down into Southern Alabama. <laughs> Did he go get it? No, I mean, it was like out in the trees somewhere. So uh, he kind of just like, he's like, all right, sir, you have controls. He just kind of sits there for a second. Like, what the hell do I do? And his instructor's like, well, what happened? He's like, uh, sir, I sort of dropped my bag out of the helicopter. So. You have to file a report, I, I, did you? Yeah, I mean, he goes back to the squadron. He just filled out a safety report just to, you know, cover your ass and whatever. But I, I told him, I was like, hey, if you wanted to practice bombing in advance, you should have gone jets. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, okay, so what was in his nav bag, do you think, besides? Uh, just, you know, maybe? like approach plates and maps or whatever, in addition to his name tag, so that's good. <laughs> well, someone finds it, they'll be able to give it to yeah. him. So if somebody ever, like, you know, had a nab bag hit him in the head, at least they know who to return it to. I told you we lost a raft, a bag of rafts, right? No. When oh, was this? Goodness gracious. We're <laughs> in, in, a, in the H2. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this airplane, but um, the, the door slide, okay? On the, on the left side, co-pilot side, it's just a little tiny door that slides because it's, it's only one entrance for the, you know the co-pilot to climb in and out right on the right. right side it's a long door because it covers up not only the you know the entrance to the back of the aircraft it's also where you know the right seater can get in and out well in and it had three positions you know all the way shut halfway open or third of the way open so it was like the door was open for the pilot but still closed for the back or all the way <laughs> open okay well, in San Diego in the summer, we typically flew with that door all the way open if we weren't doing anything, I don't know, too aerobatic or 
or <laughs> two for having fly fast. You know, if we were just kind of cruising around at 90 knots or whatever, we tend to fly with the doors open. Well, it was standard procedure for us, not a written SLP, mind you, just a standard procedure that we flew with these, a bag with rafts, three rafts. They're, they're like 27 pounds each. They're, they're, you know, so it's a hundred pound bag. Okay. And also had, um, you know, the emergency uh, hook plate, you know, a hoist. If the hoist, the hoist on your aircraft has a problem where it kind of gets tangled up or something and you have to cut off the hook, but you could still, the hoist could still run. It, there was this plate with a spare rescue hook on it that you could thread the hoist cable through in such a fashion that it was your replacement hook, right? So that okay. was in this bag. Uh, flashlight, an extra first aid kit. I don't know, it was about 100, 120 pounds. And it sat right behind, the, the up against the bulkhead that the pilot's chair was hanging on. Kind of shoved right there because it fit up against the bulkhead and up against the center console that creeped back that far. That's a perfect place for it. Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I didn't punch it in there good, you know, because you, know, you kind of jammed it in there when you're manning up. And maybe I didn't stick it in there right or... Maybe the pilot was, you know, little not enough ball or too much ball. I don't know, but you know, we're we're tooling along. My, I'm I'm looking in the radar. It's day, day daytime, so I have my head in the radar hood, and we're coming back into North Island, right? So we're flying up. It's like the where the sailboats go in and out of San Diego Harbor, right? And all of a sudden, the the pilot goes, "Whoa, what was that? <laughs> Something just fell off the airplane." I'm like, <laughs> so I, I'm and. And I'm pulling my head out from the hood, and I look over. Sure enough, the raft bag is gone. Oh God! And, and you know we're we're at 500 feet, maybe a thousand feet. I don't remember, but you know, did it hit anything? Because we're flying over ocean with boats in it. <laughs> and, and you know, he took his eyes off it. We never saw. He didn't. He didn't see it hit the the water. We turned around to see if we could see it floating or whatever. But that was. I got in trouble for that. What's the matter? Nice. How come you didn't strap? Come on. I was just the unlucky jerk that, that his raft bag fell out because we all did it the same way. Right. So we've got to find a way to secure that. Okay, you tell me how to secure that. There's no straps. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, they're carrying straps, but, you know, no one carried extra bungees with them, and there's nothing to really, you know, hook it onto. Yeah, it was lame. Yeah. Well, as long as nobody got hurt, it's a funny story. No one story. got hurt. No one got hurt. No one got. No one got a. You know. No one got a nickname out of that. Um, <laughs> just a things falling off aircraft story and. Ah. So, um, so where do you think you're gonna head? Have you been? Do you guys? Do you guys get uh, community dog and pony shows? You know, like, like I said, you only have two choices, right? HSM and For, HSC. Uh no, we we. Uh... We, at the moment, we can select uh, HSC, HS, HSM, HSL, oh, HM. They haven't merged yet. They're they're still in the process of merging. Like all of HC is now HSC, but there still are some HSL that have yet to transition to HSM. Okay, and HS and is we, not its own community. Is is not is not merging into. Uh, HS is, um, but there still are active HS squadrons that are selecting. Interesting. And right. we still have HM as well, so that's mine mine. Yeah. Okay. That's the fifty three. Okay. So where are you leaning? 
it's it's a tough choice, honestly. Like I, I would say, I'd want San Diego more than any particular airframe. Okay. But if I was to choose a my you know preference, probably HSC would be first. Okay. So, you, uh, how many choices do you get to make? Two. Three, uh, one? I, I believe they've they've changed the selection sheet the the way that works. Uh, I believe before you used to just put like all the 13 possibilities that you could select in some particular order. Okay. I think the way the way it works now is they basically give you a list of like five squadrons that are looking for people that particular week, and then you just put those five in order or something like that. Interesting. Okay. And the squadrons can be east or west. Right. So I mean, maybe there aren't any San Diego slots that week, in which case, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you end up, Norfolk? Uh, yeah, I mean, it could be Jacksonville, it could be, uh, oh, Jacksonville or Mayport, I don't even know which one, but, uh, I think it's Mayport, uh, or I could end up in Norfolk, or I could end up in, shoot, Hawaii or Japan. Well, that's right, they have a Ford deployed in, um, Atsugi still, don't they? Yeah. Oh, that would, well, I don't know. Some guys want that, though. I mean, the guys who want that would probably get that. I mean, that's that's not what I want, so I wouldn't even put that anywhere close to number one. I would not want to go to Japan or at or Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I'd want Hawaii before I'd want the East Coast, but, you okay. know, San Diego, right. like if, I said. If it gets down to that, you're right. Okay. But that would just suck if all the East Coast squadrons... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, I can't help what comes around selection time. So I'll put down what I want and I'll take what I get, you know? Sure, sure. Well, you know, that's, that's the healthy, proper attitude. But, you know, if, if if you're at all associated with the term sailor, you're going to be an M for any reason at all. That's yeah. comes with the territory. Um, so do they come give you a dog and pony or anything? Any kind of uh, sales pitch to... Or they, they do. Yeah, I mean, okay. they give a community brief uh, where all the you know pilots in the squadron will basically talk about their respective communities, or they'll delegate you know one from each community to give a talk. And uh, of course, they had the the fleet flying earlier this year, which I got to attend. I think that might have been after we spoke last. Yes. Uh, uh, maybe, no, maybe no, not. No, I don't remember. I, I seem to recall telling me you got to fly Coast Guard ship. You know, you got to fly okay, sixty five, yeah. and you got to fly some frog. Yeah, I got to fly the frog in the 65. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. All right, so you... And, of course, they, they had community briefs there as well. Each of the communities that flew in gave a little brief on uh, um, what they had to offer. And in... All right, so so you're like an HSC. Is that the... Because they do mostly... Well, they do... I know they do the vert rep mission, right? Yeah, they do SAR, CSAR, vert rep, that sort of thing. Whereas HSM and HSL, they're more into the uh, the, the ASW which doesn't really interest me. Uh, There's not a whole lot of ASW existing still in the Navy, as far as I can tell. Yeah. So, I mean, it it just seems like they're training a lot for a mission that they're never feasibly going to use. But, you know, there's a lot of of higher-ranking guys than me who think that they need to be doing that, so that's what they're doing. Well, you know, it's... it's, um I don't know, it's one of those that's Cold War, right? That was ASW. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I don't really know what the sub-threat is in the world today, but uh, well, there, was, there was an admiral there at the time who basically, you know, 
tried to steer us back on course by saying, hey, you know what? One of the big missions of the Navy is ASW, so it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, because... So... <laughs> well, I mean, so, you know, it's one of those things that's, you know, it's going to... It can bite you in the ass really fast. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you can watch a sub build up at some at some third world and go, oh, we better spool up our spool back up our ASW you know capability because this guy is now a threat. You know the submarine. I mean, in all honesty, they, they they sort of like meld their main mission of ASW into other things. I mean, they they're basically like the the eyes in the sky of like the carrier group, so they they can find contacts out in front of the the carrier group. And they do that frequently, so it's not just that they're focusing all on ASW. I mean, I know HSL has done tsunami relief or, or Hurricane Katrina relief or stuff like that, so they branch out. Yeah, well, like I said, all it takes is one person to ruin someone's day, and they're going to go, oh, no. <laughs> I, you know, I'm mean, seriously, it's, 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 uh, you know, you, the military... Has- as a whole, is not well known for bending with the time, right? Right. Uh, they do they do a fine job stepping up when the when it hits the fan, but you know, and it's a good thing that some of the stuff that gets trained on you know bleeds over to these other things that they weren't looking for, you know, or not looking for, but um, you know, seeing as possibilities. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So. I think the missions are changing a lot, and uh, helicopters are really becoming a, a larger part of uh, naval aviation. I mean, they're really ramping up helicopter aviation, and uh, and they're doing a lot of expeditionary stuff too. Like I know HSC is now sending expeditionary, you know, squadrons out there. Really. So. Forward deployed to non-standard places, huh? Yep. Everyone needs their chances to play in the sandbox, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I mean, there there are squadrons that are like living out in Bahrain, so really? they're not operating off a ship. They're they're just doing all stuff in country. That would just suck to be in that environment. I've actually heard it's really not that bad. I mean, I heard you know the days are long, but at the end of the day, you come home to your flat in Bahrain with satellite TV and you can crack a beer. So no, no, it's, I'm, it's I'm better at better than the ship. I'm at working the working the working sandy hot. Uh, yeah. Environment, you know, <laughs> that that. 114 part. outside. I mean, you know, make no mistake, when you're floating in the Persian Gulf, right, or right. close to those environments, still hot outside. Um, but I don't know, just you know, the Navy, Navy, naval aviation has got this whole thing about FOD, and and you know, they're really anal about that, and you know, the sandy, dirty, rocky environment is not their, it's not their strength. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so I just. You know, imagine a guy who's used to, you know, his job is to keep salt water and salt crust off of his airplane and not have to worry about dust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just wonder how how uh, how easily he that's a transition for him, you know what I'm saying? Uh, sure. All right, so when do you, th- uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a hard, maybe it's not the right question to ask, but if you're halfway through... And you started in what October, or is it? I classed up uh, September fourth. All right, so shoot, that's already four months. No, October, November, December, January, February, five months. Yeah, like I said, in yeah. terms of time, I'm way more than half done. It's only in terms of events that I'm a little bit more than halfway done. 
So by summer, you should be. Yeah, I mean, you know, my parents want to know, too, obviously. And that's what I keep asking me. But by my estimation, I should be should be complete by the early May. That's awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to it. And, you'll be, and so then the rag's the next stop, right? Oh, no. the, oh, you get, the rag or Siren route or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they, they have been sending guys to the rag straight, so I don't know if I'm going to go to Sear or the rag first, but it's, you know, one or the other. Oh, you know. <laughs> a lovely, lovely stop in Warner Springs or something. Hey, you know, I... I'd rather do Warner Springs. I did Warner Springs in August, so it wasn't that bad. But you know, weather's always a weather's always a, a factor for how how I don't want to say enjoy, but <laughs> how less it the suck is less if the weather's pleasant. You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, hopefully, I get to do it in the summer. I, I really I would rather do Sear first in the summer than have to do it. You know, go to the Rag and then end up, end up doing it next winter or something. That would suck. Yeah, I mean, because after after you know after your fleet replacement training, you're supposed to be ready to go. You're supposed to be deployable. I mean, yeah, but uh, there there are a lot of guys who do it after the rag, or even sometimes they go to the fleet and they just get a waiver and then do it later. You know, when they come back from deployment or something. Wow, that's so. that's just a sign of the cha- uh, sign of how things have changed. I mean, honestly, I would love to do it as a, a fresh ensign out of flight school, then have to wait and do it later as a JG, but. Oh, well, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Um, I just—that's just interesting. Uh, you know, there's always there's there's always the high possibility of stash time at the rag too. Sure. You know, you're done, and no one's got room for you yet. Which I have a I have a secret, how you can get to your place sooner. I'm all ears. Oh, okay. I don't know if you wanted it now. <laughs> all right. Um, which see. In my day, you know, we finished the rag. I finished, I think, in February, mid-February, and um, they had the, they had no place to go. Our class of three dudes, four dudes, three or four dudes. I want to say four dudes. They had no place for us to go. Um, you know, this was HSL West Coast, so we had three choices. There was two squadrons in San Diego and one in Hawaii, or or and the uh, the sixty rag was spooling up. And uh, some dudes, they uh, a whole class of three guys that had finished the rag for H2, their next assignment was to be subject matter experts for air crew training at HSL 41. You know, hmm. they, they didn't even get to go to the fleet. They went, they went straight to the, uh, you know, the next community's uh, fleet readiness squadron and started spooling up. Um, so anyway, you know, those are three choices, and they're like, okay, where do you want to go? And oh, by the way, they're not going to be ready for you till like mid May, mid April, late April, maybe early May. And this is February, you know, and so that's all of March for sure. Then we're going to be sitting around not doing a whole lot. And so <laughs> that that's when you start, you know, asking to get sent on these little um, TADs, you know. Um, uh, shipboard firefighter, shipboard aircraft firefighting training. You know, uh, they have a schoolhouse there, Thirty Second Street Naval Station, and you know that's a, that was a standard place they would send stash aircrew. All right, you're done. <laughs> you know, you're qualified. Uh, your fleet squad not ready for you, so we're gonna send you here for that was like three days, and then uh, 
over by the old recruit training center, there's an, a an ASW base. That's what we call it. I actually don't know what its real official title is, but that's where um, surface warfare groups would send their, their alpha whiskey teams, right? The, the anti-submarine warfare. And they had these little mock-ups of six or seven CICs in this building, you know? Mm -hmm. And they'd all man them and run these anti-submarine drill sims and uh, where they would have sub-drivers in the submarine sim, you know, pretending to be running from these, you know, six or seven surface warfare dudes trying to chase them. And then us air crew types would be up on the second floor manning these little stations that would be simulating that we were P3s or helicopters or whatever, providing whatever sensor data the... the um, you know, the, the master control told us to provide the ships. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? This big kind of simulation thing they had going on. So they sent, sure. us, to, they sent us to that for a week, you know, to get us out from underfoot. We'd go go play P3, you know, set a little console. and you'd, It was kind of like knobs and dials. Okay, I'm at 200 feet. I'm at 100 knots, you know. And they had these little displays <laughs> and the, the the guy running the sim, okay, you know, P3, whatever, you just, you just had a madman, right? So, you'd, so you'd, you'd go into the turn, right? The turn, okay, I'm going to, all right, so I'm still 200 knots, and here's my heading. I'm going to turn my heading at this way, and you just kind of move this knob to look, make it look like the airplane was doing these things on their radar downstairs, right? Right. And I'd get in trouble for, you know, moving the thing too fast. Dude, if you try to make a turn at that speed, your airplanes will be doing cartwheels across the ocean. Ah, you know, who cares? <laughs> it's the fifth day of this. I'm tired. I'm but anyway, so that's one of the things they would do. But anyway, the, the, the secret was is that you tell them, I want to take leave in between, you know, the RAG and my fleet squadron. And right. they would say, okay, you could take whatever, three weeks, whatever you had, they would give you. All right. So, so, so they would back it, back it up. You know, I have three weeks to leave. When you're done with your leave, your your squadron should be ready. Will be ready for you, right? So you go and leave because it's you know it's an in between, right? Come back two days mm -hmm. later, check into your fleet squadron. They <laughs> they can't not have you come back. You know, leaves voluntary. So that's how I got around waiting three weeks to go to go to my fleet squadron. I just took a leave, took off a couple days, and came back. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> I got a little, you know, just a little bit of crap from the air crew, the air crew shop chief. But you know what the hell? Um, I want to get to work because when you get to your fleet squadron, at least for an air crewman, it's you start over. You know, you know, you got to be because in the you got to you got to go through a, like a series of of training flights to make sure that that you haven't forgotten anything. So you got to get certified as a utility crewman. Then you go through some more flights to get certified as a tactical crewman. And then, you know, be playing captain and all this crap. Then you go to sea and halfway through your deployment, then you get your wings, you know. So right. the sooner you get on that, the sooner whatever. So, yeah. So remember that. If you got if you got to wait time, you, I'll take some leave and then just go check in. Honestly, that that's that's kind of closely related to uh, my strategies for not getting stashed <laughs> and uh, just being able to... Uh, you know, wake up and do whatever I want and go as I please. Because when I was class, when I was waiting to class up for advanced, um, there was basically a three-month wait time uh, to class up. So what I did is I would just, you know, hang out and then try and put off all the stuff I had to do, like you know, go uh, to the helo dunker and all that stuff. You have to do that before you class up. And 
since I had three months, I, you know, give it some time, wait a little bit. And then the second you get a call from the wing saying, hey, uh, we need you to go, uh, you know, work at the, the fit you or go work here or something. Be like, oh, well, well I got to go do the helo dunker still. And they're like, oh, OK, and uh, go, go take care of that this week. And then uh, just have a leave chit filled out without the dates on it. And then, to sit, you know, you know, go do the helo dunker thing. And then you come back and you're sitting on your ass again. And then another week or two goes by and you get another phone call. Hey, we need you to do this or do that. Go work here. And you're like, oh, well, I got a leave chip that's going in for next week. They're like, oh, uh, okay. And then they just go find somebody else. Oh, see, you're, so, all right, so you already see, learned how to game the system. Good. Oh, yeah. I mean, part of being a J.O. is learning how to take strategic leave. <laughs> so what do you say? Helo Dunker is not part of API? It is, but um, but you have to go back before you class up for helos and learn how to use the, uh, the oxygen. Oh, the heed bottles. Okay. Yeah, so you got to do the habit training. It's like helicopter or air crew breathing device. You got to learn how to use that. Okay. Well, you know. so you go you go through the whole thing again wearing the habit. Again, another another thing they didn't have back in the dinosaur days. Yeah. <laughs> that was in development back. I, you know, I think it, I think it might have hit the fleet right as I was getting out or just after. It, it's nice because I I would not want to do that without the habit because the first time at API really kind of sucks. But it's, it's nice to get flipped upside down. You got water in your nose, but at the end of the day, you just blow out, and all of a sudden, you're breathing. You're like, oh, this isn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. All right, Josh. Well, wouldn't, uh, I think we'll have to talk again after your big check ride. Yeah, that's probably the next uh, big step. Tell us, maybe, maybe, you'll have, maybe you'll have some, you know, something funny actually happen to you. Yeah. Gotta, <laughs> maybe I'll happen. actually want to share it. <laughs> Oh, is that what it is? You have no, something I, that you don't want to share? Okay. No, no, no. no. I, I really don't have anything yet, but, you know. Because you know. Actually, it's, anytime I do something stupid or I make a mistake, I'm uh, on, honestly, the first thing I do is tell other people. Because I'm like, hey, this is retarded. Don't do this. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like it's kind of like riding a motorcycle, right? It's, yeah. There's two kinds, those who have crashed and those who will. So, you know, in terms of making a having a funny story of your own, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate your time again. Not a problem. The technical difficulties at the beginning notwithstanding. And, uh, no worries. You know, shoot me, you know, shoot me a message when, uh, when your check ride's done. Will do. Should be a couple weeks. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk again. Sounds good. All right. I, uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, I don't know what it is about talking with uh, Josh, but every time I do, I start to try to compare notes about what's transpired in the 27 years since I've gone through some of this stuff. Um, uh, human nature, I guess. Now, like I said, uh, at the top of the show, I have two more episodes with Josh remaining. I'll probably release them in the next, you know, we'll release the next one in two to three weeks. Um, and then the one, the last one will be two to three weeks after that. And I'm going to warn you now, uh, unless I can find another victim, uh, I might experience another pod fade. Uh, I do have a place to go and beg for people who are willing to come and tell their story. I uh, haven't kind of resorted to that yet. So I think we're going to, and we'll see how that, how that uh, turns out. So, um, yeah, two more episodes with Josh, and then hopefully we'll have someone else. And and we're going to call it quits for now. Yeah, stay safe, and God bless. Bye.